0: slash conference. I hope to see you there. Hey, podcast listeners, I wanted to let you know that I'm hosting a very special virtual summit coming up soon. It's called the Own Your Career Virtual Summit, and it's going to be happening November 2nd through 4th. We've got 15 amazing speakers lined up, including Dory Clark, Laura Gassner-Odding, Julie Winkle-Giulioni, Christine DiDonato, and many other great authors and speakers in the career and personal development space, all with the goal of helping you up your game and truly own your career and prepare for the future. The summit is free to register all you have to do is go to ownyourcareersummit.com you can register for free and then there will be some upgrade options if you want to join some of our live Q&A sessions and even get access to the own your career online course but you can also register for free and watch and listen to all of our sessions on how to own your career it's going to be phenomenal and again you can register for free by going to ownyourcareersummit.com thank you again for listening and now on to the episode
1: Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just wanna learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place.
0: Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me for another great episode today where we're going to try to help you take your job and your career in talent development to the next level, which is always our mission and our goal with this podcast to help you improve, to learn, to be inspired, to get better in the world of talent development. And today I have something a little bit different for you. Have you ever wondered what training and onboarding looks like in the military, specifically in the Army? Well, my guest today is a 20-year Army veteran, who has recently transitioned out after being an officer in the Army for over 20 years and is going to walk us through how onboarding has been done, uh, what training looks like for different fields in the Army, and as well as how the Army handled and responded to COVID and switched some of the training to being remote and managed certain people being uh, on-site versus working remotely. I think this is going to be a great and interesting interview for some of you who've always wondered how are things done in the military, and you might get some ideas for how you can do things in your own work as well. My guest today is Shay Potter, who is a 20-year Army veteran serving in both Afghanistan and Iraq campaigns as a military intelligence specialist, design and change management planner, and has held multiple jobs developing the workforce and its leaders. Shea recently transitioned out Of the Army and is working on the next steps, but also enjoys coaching people and consulting with organizations to help them understand how to better attract and retain. Military veterans. Shea also currently writes fiction and nonfiction books and is a contributing writer on career change topics for veterans. And you're going to hear us talk about a number of different topics today, as I mentioned, how the Army approaches onboarding and training, as well as intelligence, and how the Army transitioned during COVID times to more remote work. I hope you enjoy this interview. And as always, I want to mention that this podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank membership community that I run. Uh, We have over 100 amazing, wonderful talent development professionals in that community. And Shay is one of those members. Shay recently joined the community just a few months ago and is on many of our calls. So you can engage, come join, engage with Shay and ask about that military experience after this interview. And if you want to find out more information, just go to tdtt.us. Let's get on to my interview with Shay Potter about creating a training strategy the Army way. Enjoy. All right. I am joined now by Shay Potter, who is a 20 year Army veteran and officer who has recently transitioned out. And uh, we are talking all about talent development the Army way today, as well as transitioning in careers. Uh, Shay, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Andy. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. You know, we, interestingly enough, I think you found me on LinkedIn and joined the talent development think tank community. And of course, we had a chat after that. And I was just so fascinated with everything that you had been working on during your time in the Army, especially as an officer and in intelligence and thinking about training and development. And I knew this would be really interesting for our listeners. And this is also an interesting time because the last time you and I talked, you were an Army officer. And today, you are a civilian. So you recently made that transition, right?
1: I have. I have. My official last day in the United States Army was September 30th. So not that long ago. Oh, pretty <laughs> uh, recent. So I'm, I'm starting. <laughs> right, right. So I, I am officially a civilian, uh, Lieutenant Colonel retired, um, but I, I just prefer Shay. And I absolutely love this side of life so far. So looking forward to uh, what's in front.
0: Cool. Well, welcome to civilian life. It's the only life I've known. So, but I'm fascinated and and interested to dig into some of the, the work you did while you were in the army. Can you share with us a little bit of your background and, you know, going in and how you got into the line of work that you got into with intelligence and training and that sort of stuff?
1: Definitely. Definitely. So... I'm not gonna go too far back, but essentially the the Army chose my career for me. So just a step back, I attended Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, and I commissioned there once I graduated in May, 2001. Uh, And so I started my training right after September 11th. Uh, Military intelligence as a career field Uh, wasn't my number one choice. What generally happens once you are a senior in college, you have an opportunity to pick uh, one of the different career fields uh, in the Army, which way you want to go. I chose Signal Corps, which is akin to information technology, um, because that aligned best with my computer technology uh, degree. And the uh, military said that's that's nice, uh, Shea Potter, but we think you're better suited for military intelligence. And so after, after I graduated Purdue University, I was sent to Fort Huachuca in Sierra Vista, Arizona, which is just south of Tucson, um, where they hold the military intelligence school. Uh, and that is really the beginning, the inception point. Of the training uh, that the military provides uh, its new leaders uh, to learn the basics of the career. Um, that's I learned kind of the ABCs, one, two, threes of intelligence um, for that uh, I think the school is about six months. And then from there, the Army sent me to Fort Drum in New York, about 20 miles south of Canada. And I was assigned to my first duty station and, and first assignment as a staff officer, which is akin to being an administrator. Uh, I helped process and process uh, new individuals that were coming in into the unit. Um, and, and so um, the, the Army gives you a pretty well set pipeline um, from inception into development But as far as my background, that's how I got into military intelligence um, 20 years ago. Um, So far as personally, uh, my world, if you will, started in Los Angeles, California, Um, went to school um, through all your uh, natural points and then decided to fly halfway across the country. Uh, to attend Purdue um, because I was interested in engineering and and computer technology. So I know that's the question for for some people, how did I end up at Purdue? Um, But I'll leave it there as to how I started getting involved in military intelligence. Um, And then I can kind of dovetail what that pipeline process and how the army trained me at certain certain junctures uh, to um, give me a more Larger depth and breadth of my particular career field, but also give me exposure to other career fields um, that has led me to training and development uh, and learning and development, uh, which is how I met you, uh, Andy, through the uh, Facebook group and the um, train development think tank.
0: Right, yeah, the Talent Development Think Tank. So that's a good question. I want to I want to go back and talk about onboarding and what that looks like in the Army and how maybe that's changed. But I'm also curious, where did you develop your your interest and your passion in the learning and development world in L and D?
1: Yeah, so so for me, it 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 started when I realized that I needed another career after the Army. Uh, It's it's very difficult uh, when you're in the throes of your Army career to kind of consider anything else. Um, But I think once you make the decision to off-ramp yourself and transition to a different career, but not just a different career, a different lifestyle, a a different world. And so for me, uh, when I went into my boss and and said, you know what, I I think I'm going to retire at 20 instead of continuing to go to, uh, which I think is more the norm 25, 30, 30 years that most people spend, I asked myself the question that most second career switchers ask themselves, which is what am I going to do next? What do I want to do? Who am I? Uh, Was a huge question uh, because I've always defined myself in terms of the rank, in terms of my position, my status, uh, and in the world that I was in for 20 years, but I knew I couldn't carry that into the civilian world. So I almost had to go back to a shade that I hadn't uh, really familiarized myself with for for a while, you know, and ask some of those deeper questions. Um, what I was passionate about, and and what would I like to invest myself in, you know, what's my favorite color, you know, things that the army wasn't telling me that you're going to like or do. I right. I had to find find my own voice. So those were all kind of the the nexus of it. And then out of that, it was you're a teacher, Shay. You teach. You like to mentor. Yeah. You like to design instruction, just look at your career and in and, and the folks that you touched. Um, it was all, you know, birth out of, I wanted to help them through the learning process. So then the next question out of that was well, well, what industries out there are in not necessarily becoming a an educator, but how can you help people process what they're doing in a way that you're almost their guide their teacher their mentor Uh, and so through my research i learned of the uh, learning and development industry and and then from there uh, what positions were uh, inside those industries and um, the research continues
0: yeah that's great you know it's interesting i'm thinking about i love this your thoughtfulness about this transition and you mentioned you know, like an example of just like, what is your favorite color? And, and, and as a metaphor for, you know, where do you want to go? What do you want to do with your career? And I sometimes think that, you know, we live in such amazing times where people can really go out and do anything, you can pursue any kind of career. And yet, I also reflect on how much pressure we put on young people at, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old to try to choose a major and a career in college and figure out where they want to go. And sometimes people talk about find your passion and what you love to do. And I feel like even though that's great, sometimes it can cause anxiety when we're like, I don't know what that is. And I'm wondering, you know, when you go into the military, especially the army, or I hear this is very true with the Marines, where they kind of just tell you like, this is what you're doing. Right. And you, you're kind of told where to go and what to do. While it may not be as freeing, I wonder, is it almost easier and maybe less stressful because you don't have these big decisions to make most of the time?
1: Yes and no. Um, I think the short, the short, the, the, I'll explain yes first. Uh, So yes, the army and the military in general, Navy, army, uh, air force, Marines, coast guard. It's, it's, it's a very structured lifestyle organization way of life. However, comma, once you start moving into the mid to higher echelons of leadership, uh, that band that you're that seems so tight when you first uh, get you first start your career, that starts to balloon. So what do I mean? From my level, Lieutenant Colonel, which is equ- equivalent to a mid to senior. I wouldn't say a senior executive, like a CEO, but maybe a a department manager or a department executive. Once you start getting to that level, the Army is is very hands-off. My superiors rarely told me how to, what we say in the Army, suck the eight. In other words, paint by numbers, you're gonna do this Lieutenant Colonel Potter, you're gonna do it this way, and here are the 10 steps that you're gonna do. What they did at that level was they gave me an end state, this is what we want. So what does it look like in a civilian world? At the end of the year, Andy, we will like to you know, have about, you know, uh, I'll just make a number, 50, $50 million profit increase or something like that, right? Um, and that's it. And, and so you're like, okay, well you want a $50 million profit increase, what next, what next boss? But you're looking at the back of him because in that mentality at that level, Well, you figure it out. You have people, you have an organization that you run, you have X amount of experience. And at this level, I'm not here to walk the dog for you to figure out how you're gonna make that extra profit. That's why you're here. And then I expect in a year to to achieve it. And so what that does is at my level, it constantly places you in these positions where you have to figure out answers in the realm of what it seems like it's impossible because there's no answers, you have to make answers. Now, when you start, it is very easy because you're told where to be. Uh, you have several, what we call drill sergeants and leaders that is coming to tell you when to wake up and they're standing at your bed to make sure that you wake up. Uh, Then they tell you when to get hygiene because they're forcing you to go into the restroom and give hygiene and you have 30 minutes. And then from there, they tell you when to eat and they walk you through each one of those steps each and every day at the same time. Um, And so I just wanted to paint that picture for you for what it looks like when you first come in, where it seems every second of your time is dictated. You don't have time to think because someone is barking to you what to do, when to do it and how to do it. To when you have 10, 15 years of experience, when you're just giving this very nebulous uh, end state or objective to achieve and no guidance in how to get there. You have to figure it out. And so that's how I ended my career in that portion where I, for years, I just had to figure it out. And I got very creative and very innovative uh, in in doing that. Uh, you have to in order to survive, in order to be able to stay and continue to progress through the ranks. Um, so you, like I say, you create a different, a different type of uh, open leader towards the end of your career.
0: Yeah. Okay. So it, de- it definitely changes as things go on, and it's a good transition uh, to help you get ready for that that time out where you do you know, as a civilian, now you have all those choices, you have all that freedom, but let's go back to the beginning. You mentioned going into intelligence and the six month training program you went through. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about today is what does onboarding look like in the army and maybe what it looked like then. And if it's changed much, um, compared to maybe what you perceive it as looking like in, I know you haven't gone through it, but in the corporate world, but I know a lot of people in corporate that are in learning and development that are getting, that are involved with onboarding programs and training programs for new hires and people coming into a company to help them get familiar with the company and their role and the job they're doing. are would be curious to hear, you know, what does onboarding look like the Army way?
1: Definitely, definitely. So I'm going to focus this discussion on officers. Um, so we have two tracks. We have a enlisted track, Um, That's the one that I think most people are very familiar with Um, when they think Army, that's where, that's the private track. So everyone knows, you know, a a private, whether you've heard it uh, in a movie or sergeant, Um, but those are our worker bees. Um, And then for the officers, the difference is we finish school, college, graduate from college and get commissioned and go our own separate track. And so to start uh, for your audience, our onboarding process, again, is very structured. We have a document, um, it's about a 600 page document that breaks out each of the careers. And for onboarding it's based by time and service, how many years in and then what's your rank. And so for onboarding, I can look at it and say, okay, I have three months in or zero days in, and my rank is second lieutenant. I find that and then I look underneath it and it spells out what education I need, what training I need, how long do I need it, what jobs I need uh, to get to the next rank. And it tells me how long I have to do that. So in other words, when I come in, I know I have uh, 18 months to four years to get a certain amount of training, schooling, jobs, and then make sure that I have the right evaluations to get to my next rank. So it is spelled out to the T. And then on top of that, the uh, HR, uh, I'm gonna use your terms, uh, also makes sure that you are assigned to, to only those positions that are going to move you to the next rank. And you only stay in those positions for about a year to 18 months, and then you get another position. So you have about, I would say, less than eighteen months to to learn a job, uh, and perform well before you're assisted to get a completely different job in a different, it could be a different unit, a completely different um, aspect of your of your career field. It's just something that's sort of broadening you. So to round this out, the onboarding process for the military uh, for the officers are is number one, very structured. Number two is it's uh, organized by what your current rank is and how many years you have in that rank. Uh, and then it spells out what your training, your education and what specific jobs you must complete by a certain amount of time before you're eligible to compete for your next promotion.
0: COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Yeah, so it sounds like it's very organized in terms of who's going through, like you said, their rank, their level of experience, the, the job they're doing, what they need to accomplish, and getting very specific about those things. And is that how when you think about beyond onboarding, think about training and development, because I'm sure you've been in that field for 20 years, that it's not just, you know, an onboarding program, and then you're off and you're running for the next 20 years. I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of training involved throughout that time. You know, what is what does the approach look like for creating or running new training programs to help, you know, officers uh, understand new concepts within their field and help them become more proficient?
1: Definitely, definitely. So uh, I I like to speak in analogies, uh, the army and the military in general, but my experience is army works in layers. And what I mean by that is think onion layers and each layer fills a certain purpose, but everything as a whole, the onion as a whole helps produce the product that you're speaking about, which is progressing the individual to have a breadth of experience at a certain time so that they can facilitate certain needs of not only just the military, but just our own national security um, needs uh, that we may have 10 years, 15 years from now, right? So let me break down that onion for you. Um, So you heard me speak about the onboarding process in a very simple or simplistic manner. There are some nuances, but I don't think it really necessarily matters for this audience. The first thing is getting the the new personnel in the organization to make sure they understand the mission and the values of the organization. And for us, the, the mission of the Army is to fight and win, and we have our value system It's called leadership. It's an acronym for things that is expected of us. Um, So I'll give you one L is, speaks about loyalty and all those things. So the army expects us to be loyal. I'm not gonna go over the rest. But the first part of that onion, the center part is really about building the person in terms of their character, understanding to have the right values, to be a, a person that can be trusted. And so that's kind of formulates the beginning parts your, of your training. And then from there, you get your more technical training. Um, if you come in as a military intelligence officer, they teach you how to think. You take glue of classes on critical thinking, structured analysis, all these thinking and uh, mental models in order to help you parse through raw data and uh, synthesize that for uh, some type of output those are strewn along your career at certain junctures. So if you have a 20 year career, you're probably going to go to about four structured training, what I call equivalent to a local university or uh, a community college. Um, And so those programs are usually between six months to about 12 months of time where you're studying, you're writing papers, you're doing all those traditional things that any student in a university or community college college with you, but that structure in your um, particular career field. The third layer is the just-in-time training, okay? Because it's no way that we can send you to a local college or university every year, or every time you change your job. So what we do to fill in the gaps is what we have the satellite, uh, no. So it's equivalent to the Strayers or um, some of these uh, for-profit type technical schools that um, meet a very specific need. And you go there to fill that specific need, get a certificate and come back to your job and apply it. Uh, and so those are, are um, essentially all over the, the United States and, and the world for that matter. Um, So an officer has the opportunity to do that. The fourth is OJT. OJT is is called on-the-job training. The nomenclature or or word I tend to use is just jumping in a fire and figuring it out, right? So (laughs) um, it's not the most efficient way, but you'd be surprised by how much you can learn when you get burned literally and figuratively of what to do, what not to do, and then just having the pressure to have to perform. What facilitates that is is being surrounded by people who's been on the job or have done that particular uh, skill for a very long time. And so we are pretty good in pairing a very new individual with someone that has 7, 10, 15 years experience. So they're not completely on their own. And then the last layer I would say is is something that is very close to my heart, which is the self-development, self-learning piece. Figuring out what you don't know and then going out and filling that gap, reading books, um, joining clubs like Toastmasters or some other um, entity that puts you in a space to learn, That is not paid for or directed by the army It's you going out and learning on your own. So all those layers together, uh, you can imagine around a person over time, yes, you begin to formulate a a, and help build um, a commodity that that gets to be pretty dangerous um, by the time they hit their 12 or 15 year mark.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And there's, I love how you talked about the different layers and all the different components to that, um, because you really take a multifaceted view and you even throw in the idea that, Hey, people need to be responsible. And this should be true, whether you're in the military or outside the military, you know, I love to talk about owning your career for your own learning and development, right? So looking for those opportunities, if you yourself say, Hey, I want to get better at public speaking. I'm not going to wait for the army or my company to provide me with training i'm going to go seek out a toastmasters club and go join and start investing time and money in my training so that i can get better at that so i'm better equipped and prepared for future opportunities if i want to become a, you know a, a leader of more people or whatever it may be so i love that you mentioned that it's a great reminder that you know whether we are enlisted or civilian or any position we can be seeking those out and taking responsibility Another thing I wanted to ask you about was the transition to working from home and kind of the virtual world. You know, when COVID hit back in March of 2020, there were a lot of companies out there that had traditional models and said, people need to be in the office and we'll never let people work from home. And then almost overnight, everybody was working virtually, working remotely. I think of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when I think of the military, I think of a more traditional model where people need to be there in person, you know, at the base or at the office, uh, working with each other. So I would imagine this was a big transition as well. So I wonder if you could talk about how, what that transition looked like, how that was managed and how, uh, training and development, you know, continued in more of a remote or virtual fashion if it had to be done in person before.
1: Definitely. Definitely. So the, the military, uh, and army has multiple career fields. So uh, just let me spell it out a, a little bit to kind of help the audience. So you ex- I explained that my career field was military intelligence. We have logistics, we have information technology, uh, we have engineering, uh, we have security. Those are just a few. Um, and, and so every career field experienced something different, but I would say the, the one that had the most difficult time Uh, I would say, was intelligence. And I'm gonna tell you it's because majority of our systems and information that uh, we use is classified. Uh, (laughs) And and so we have to be in certain approved spaces to be able to get access to that classified information. Um, But I also think uh, what it did was allowed us to be creative in how we were going to fulfill a need, a demand, but also keep people safe. So what did it look like? Uh, For my unit, I was on the more administrative side um, because I was beginning to out-process. And so what we went to, a majority of the military went to was a 50% model, which is half of your uh, section or office or however you guys are organized into your teams, half of that team would work in the office building and the other half would be at home on uh, a work from home type schedule. And every week we rotated. Um, And so for a a period of months, um, I was coming into work for a week and then I would be off a week and so on and so forth. Now, when I had missions that required me to travel, things were a little bit different. First of all, we had to get approval to travel, but that just meant I had to just uh, always keep my orders on me. Uh, When we went to spaces, instead of working in buildings, uh, we created tents. working out what we call the field. So imagine going to a large soccer field uh, and seeing a number of military grade style tents that are out uh, to kind of help with pooling, splitting the work teams from the hard structures and creating additional spaces so that you can actually adhere to the six six foot um, distance rule. So that that's really how we did it. Um, did people get sick? Yes, uh, as everywhere, everywhere else. But I think we were able to contain as much as we could, but at least from the intelligence side, the big thing for us is our jobs are on classified systems. Um, and so we just had to be at work um, and we had to find a creative way to, to rotate the staff to do that. Now for some of the other career fields that are um, you know, more administrative, that they can do most of their work on unclassified systems. Um, most of them went to a 100% model, which is they just stayed at home for the entire time and um, use MS Teams, Microsoft Teams, to check in or to run um, meetings. We didn't use Zoom, so MS Teams was the primary thing. So to summarize all of that, I think every unit in the leaders made a determination within the boundaries, the bounds that they could to meet the federal uh, guidance, um, took the appropriate risks that they needed to do um, and managed their staff on a rotational basis um, in order to get the job done. Because for military, unfortunately, we don't have, the mission doesn't necessarily uh, have a day off, as they say. The enemy doesn't <laughs> rest on weekends or at night. Right. Um, right. So, so uh, we had to find some creative ways.
0: Right. You gotta, you gotta get creative because you gotta keep going, and you, you can't stop with training as well. Right. People need to continue to sharpen the saw by learning new things and practicing uh, things that they're, right. so, they're doing so, if- so they're ready.
1: Right. So it, it goes back to that onion method. And, and but more you'll focus on that, that fifth layer, right? Um, so what did that look like? It looks like um, this is probably people in your space, lots of hours. I probably put in anywhere from two to 350 hours or so um, thats you know of, of online training. Um, so mm. we will go to a, a um, local portal that had training on a number of different things and we will have to turn those in every week. And it was all self-paced. They would give you a week uh, and tell you what your training was for that week. And then you will have to turn those in, especially if you were on a work for home model. Um, And so that's, again, uh, the Army is very dependent on online training. And those those modules so for me it was like okay who's creating these because I'm experiencing it so I think this goes back to an earlier question that you had why did I get in TD not to um, try to be a positive person but a number of that training was just draining and it was it you just kind of wanted to know okay if I had a crack at it how could I make this a little bit more interactive and to better suit the the need, rather than for what I would tell you how we approached it, which um, none of us wanted to do it, um, because it was just painful. So that's from a a customer perspective. But for the Army, that became the primary means um, to train um, once we we were in the throes of COVID.
0: Excellent. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I want to ask you a couple more Questions about the, uh, the army training, and if we have time, get to some of your transition as well. When we talked before, you mentioned something about the army depending on consumer-based training. Can you tell me more about what that means?
1: Yeah, so th- this just continue with the same train of thought. Um, it the you know for for lack of a better term it's, it's just the online learning model that the the army is is focusing more so on. Um, and they're looking at some pretty innovative measures uh, to get not just rehash training, but adaptive training. That's the word I was looking at. Adaptive training to the soldier at the point in need, whether they're on a the battlefield, they're in a foreign country that has hardly any uh, infrastructure to being uh, near a, a schoolhouse. And, and so the main thing that the Army does or is trying to do is to use the soldier experience or uh, they will construct the, the training um, and, and then get the soldier involved with from a consumer standpoint or user uh, interface and, and design standpoint to help improve that because they recognize that that is a model that isn't going away and um because the army um, is so geographically dispersed online training is, is essentially going to be the dominant form to keep our force our forces trained and in, in up to date
0: yeah absolutely makes sense i'm glad you glad you explained that the last thing was about the methodology the Army uses for learning compared with corporate? I know you are freshly out as a civilian, so you haven't worked in the corporate world, but I know you've also been talking to a lot of people looking at uh, different things. You've been involved in the Talent Development Think Tank community for a couple of months now. What have you noticed as far as similarities and differences between methodology and approach to LD compared with what might be going on in the corporate world?
1: Yeah, so the, the first thing is we use an adult learning method. And, you know, I, I think there are many different nuances. I think for the civilian, uh, it seems to be Addy is one of the, the more popular um, methods in, in breaking that down. But for the Army, uh, sometimes we get really simple. And it's and we start with uh, tasks, purpose, and start, start to build out our models from there. Everything has to start with an end um, for us. But in that it becomes, well, how how do we teach for adults to to be able to learn, especially since we have multi-generational. And I I think that's the same case on on both the military and civilian side. So we use an army adult learning method um, and and we stick stick to that. The other thing and framework that we use that I think uh, for some of your listeners from a, a strategic standpoint, and in, in making sure that the learning that we're doing is tied to an overarching strategy, you know whether it's a five year, three year, you know, end goal or or objective that you know a, a company is trying to achieve. But more specifically for for our units, we always start with the end first. But a model that we tend to use to make sure that everything is tied together is is um, it's a acronym called DOTMLPF, and it's D-O-T-M-L-P-F, right? Um, and what it does is it breaks down learning into these very distinct buckets. One is doctrine, and um, it sounds exactly what you're probably thinking, but it's, it's the how-to of the business, and so very technical. Then we look at organizations. We look at how they're organized, how big they are, how small they are, do they operate in teams? Do they operate individually? Do they operate, I'll use a civilian term, primarily at home or is there a hybrid approach or is that company primarily um, in um, a work building, right? Because all that that um, factors in. And then we move into their overall training, leadership, professional development. So I'm not gonna go through all of them, but going through each of those parts of the acronym helps formulate a better picture of the needs that that organization has. It also helps for those that are developing training for that particular skill set and the career, what kinds of soldiers, officer, what kind of workforce do we want to have at the end of this? And so it helps um, keep everything tied well together. Um, And so you're not producing training that does not fill not only the existing need, but emerging needs. What's coming, where's the trend in needs and requirements going in the next three to five years? Uh, Because that's actually where we want our soldiers to be, not necessarily stuck where we are today. So I, I hope that helps. Number one, we use an adult learning model. Um, we focus again on the ends and understanding what specific tasks we want our soldiers and officers to be able to perform at a specific time and to be performed and perform it that way consistently. And then we use a very structured uh, framework called .milpf to help tie all the loose ends to meet a overarching strategic need um, so that we're producing a workforce that can meet today's problems with skills and, and be highly trained to meet those today, but also be able to pivot for what we need in the next three to five years.
0: I like that. I appreciate you explaining that and breaking that down. I like the .MLPF acronym and explaining some of those things like doctrine, organizations, training, leadership, professional development. And I think it'd be interesting to go into more of that at a later time. And I also want to you know, talk with you more about your transition and what that looks like and what people can be thinking about from a career perspective. But we're out of time now, so maybe we'll have to have another conversation about that and, and share that with people that are interested in that type of conversation. Um, my last question is where are you at right now in your transition? And I I think you, I know you're a civilian now. I know you've been dealing with some challenges on the personal side. We can talk about those later, but are you, I think you're looking for your next move, your next role on in the the civilian side of learning and development, right?
1: Definitely, definitely. So just to keep it short, because I I definitely understand uh, where where you're going. Essentially, uh, if I could just leave something with your listeners, because I had to learn it myself. But right now uh, I am in a position right where I have to give myself permission to just stop and breathe and sort of just catch up because things are tense right now. Yeah. And uh, especially for those that aren't necessarily privileged, I'm not talking race. I'm talking people in our positions that have economic and access means to be able to stop and breathe but for those that are listening, it's okay. I had to tell myself that it's, it's okay to just stop for a moment and just catch my breath. And I think what that will hopefully do is be able to sort of give you the room and space to kind of address things that are coming at you that seems to be a mile a minute and you know, asking for help, but that's kind of where I am at the moment and I'll come out of it, but I'm really just trying to give myself some pause. As I just said, I just retired 30 September. (laughs) Um, it's just the 12th of October. So, and, but the next step for me would be to, uh, see what types of things that I could contribute into training and development, whether that is, um, helping people from a strategic standpoint, we're just teaching people about the capabilities, how they can use military personnel um, to achieve some of their military, their I'm sorry, their their company goals, um, and and I think there's a strong tie with the military and the uh, training and development uh, industry that um, together I, I think will we um, we we make a good match.
0: So that's it. Andy. I love it. Well, thank you, Shay, and that's a great reminder too that. And interestingly enough, yesterday, as you and I recording this, the day before was World Mental Health Day. And it's always a good reminder to just stop and breathe and you know, g- give thanks and, and gratitude for where we are in life and what you have. And you're right, not everybody has the means to do this, but it's okay if you do have the means to take a little break. And especially if you're in a major transition, like you are. I see people all the time who leave a job and take a new job. And I ask if they're taking any time off in between, and it usually ranges between none and one week. And I totally get the the desire to get started with the new thing and, and not go too long without a salary, but it's okay to take a break every now and then. And just this week or last week, someone else in our community posted in our private Slack channel that they would have decided to leave their company and take some time off and take a break and they don't have another job lined up and i think there's a there's kind of a natural reaction to be like what do you mean you don't have another job lined up why aren't you starting another job but if you have the means it's okay to take a break and take a breather you know take a couple weeks or a month or 3 months before you start the next thing because we don't often get those chances in life and i know you've had some family things going on you know i have kids and i want to make sure that i take time with them you know from time to time and everybody's got different priorities and things to look at. And so I think it's a good idea to, to take stock every now and then maybe step away and take a break and say, hey, this is okay. Despite all the society pressure. Uh, so I appreciate you mentioning that Shay. I appreciate you coming on to share everything that you have about talent development, training and learning and development, the army way. And imagine if anybody uh, listening wants to get in touch with you, would LinkedIn be the best way? Where can people go?
1: Yes. So, so LinkedIn, because the, my other social media are, are primarily focused on my fiction and uh, uh, journal writing, but LinkedIn is, is, the, is the best way. I have all of um, necessary contacts on there as well.
0: Sounds good. All right. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I think we'll schedule another conversation to talk about the transition and thoughts on managing your career and all of that. But uh, this has been fantastic, Shay. So thank you again for coming on. I appreciate you. And I look forward to talking with you again soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Andy. And to the listeners, thank you for listening.
0: All right. That'll do it for my interview with Shay Potter about creating a training strategy the Army way. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I hope you got some interesting ideas and value out of it. If you did, let me know and feel free to connect and reach out to Shay and let uh, them know as well. I'm sure Shay will really appreciate that. And as I mentioned before, this podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank community. And Shay is a member, one of our over 100 amazing members who are passionate about talent development, learning, growing, and sharing Together, and if you're not a member yet but you love talent development, we'd love for you to come check us out. Our website again is tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. And when you join, you can put in code Hotseat H-O-T-S-E-A-T for a 10% discount off of your monthly or annual membership. If you have any questions about the community, you can also reach out to me, or you can book a call, and I'd be happy to chat to make sure that it is a right fit for you. All right. Thank you again for listening. I greatly appreciate you tuning in, you sharing this with your colleagues and your friends and all of your support to the podcast. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat.